Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis that you are all talking about in the world of football. I'm Ian McGarry, and today we are missing Duncan Castles, who in the great tradition of the transfer window is out butterfly hunting, paying tribute to the great Paul Weller, which of course brings me to our guest for today, the mister of Spanish football, author, journalist, TV presenter, and of course, still standing free, Mr. Graham Hunter. Welcome, Graham. It's a good intro. Anything um, that involves transfers for 45 minutes but starts with Paul Weller is uh, thumbs up by me. <laughs> as, long well, as, well, he's well, not, as long as he's not transferring himself, we're good with that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, new album's fantastic, by the way. It is. It is. We, we put, big shout out to Weller HQ on Twitter for well, anyone thanks. who follows him. Um, we'll start with a little bit of news, um, something we brought you a couple of months ago on the Transfer Window podcast and have regularly updated you and that is the uh, move of Gabriel Maganes, the Lille centre defender and um, Brazilian centre-back, who uh, we believe is having a medical at Arsenal today. A fee has been uh, agreed uh, in concrete uh, with uh, Lille for €30 million. Big spend by Arsenal, but one that they obviously need and require regarding their defensive frailties last season. The player is expected to be in London by this afternoon, that is Friday, to complete that medical and the deal announced either today or tomorrow. So, uh, news on Arsenal to start with, but obviously the reason we have the doyen of Spanish football on the podcast today is mostly because a seismic, seismic week in the history of Football Club de Barcelona when they lost 8-2 to Bayern Munich in the Champions League, they have since sacked the, I believe, Graham, the uh, sixth manager in the history of uh, uh, Bartomeu's presidency. He's also gone through five uh, sporting directors as well, because Eric Abidal has also left. The appointment official that we talked about on Tuesday's podcast of the Dutch international coach, Ronald Koeman, and of course, follower of the uh, magic of uh, Johan Cruyff and indeed one of Cruyff's dream team at the camp now in the 1990s and beyond. What has been the reaction, Graham, in terms of Koeman's appointment? He's not exactly the kind of, um, let's just say, uh, dogmatic, philosophical type of coach that, say, Pep Guardiola is and was at Barcelona, much more pragmatic in his approach someone who, well, is a bit more Mr. Sergeant Major than he is uh, arm around your shoulder. Um, what do you see him bringing and do you think this is the right appointment and or um, one that will succeed? Well, we live in remarkable times here. Um, and I wish uh, Duncan, the butterfly hunter, were here to to add his um, salt and pepper view on the situation because, it, you know, the fact is that while life in Barcelona is a little bit different from life in uh, the UK, it's still absolutely clear that we are in the midst of a pandemic. Catalonia, Camp Nou is at the heart of Catalonia. There are reasonably 
firm restrictions about what people can do, what they should do. Now, in normal circumstances, there would have been mobs at the Camp Now for the business meeting that decided to sack Kiki um, Setien. There would have been um, mobs outside the stadium and probably welcomed into the stadium um, to let them see Ronald Koeman um, when he was announced yesterday. But that hasn't taken place. Um, Catalans aren't necessarily super Swiss law-abiding people, but by and large, there's been so many months of this lockdown now or, or so many months of restrictions that there hasn't been... I couldn't now say to you, well, the, the mob that was outside the camp now cheered Koeman in the door because he's remembered fondly from his iconic times as leader of the Dream Team. No. So, and nor do I think that the, the transfer podcast um, exists purely on what's the media saying. But I can tell you that in the days um, leading up to Cumin's appointment, there was um, a healthy mix of it's the right move and he's going to cause a civil war. I think that it's also, it was easy to guess. I admit I took a couple of uh, well-earned holiday days in between the um, 80 defeat to Bayern Munich and the appointment of Kiki Setia, spent it in the very pleasant company of a man you know, Rob Moore, and we were um, speculating that it had to be Koeman. And that's another part of these extraordinary times, Ian, because when Football Club Barcelona um, with Messi and Suarez and Griezmann and Ter Stegen and Piquet and Busquets and Rakitic in the ranks with Ansu Fati coming through and Ricky Pooch coming through, when that job comes up, really there should be a stampede of people coming towards it. And really it should be available to the president and his acolytes to say, brilliant, we're going to take a fine tooth comb to get the best candidate, the right candidate, to, to work out whether we want to be adventurous, as I think they were when they appointed both Pep Guardiola and Luis Enrique, both treble winners. Adventurous, we'll say the previous president was when he appointed Tato Martino on a whim. It didn't work. They could have gone down that route if there had been a wide range of candidates. But the extraordinary circumstances, and I, th I think it, I think that word probably underplays it, mean that Kuman was the only one that I could see who met some of the appointment criteria, but who also would take what is a, an extremely poisoned chalice. You're coming in at the end of an era, you're coming in when the president has made it absolutely clear that even though, in my opinion, he's completely um, unqualified to make these judgments, he's, he's going to start a, a revolution, um, which he's only realized now is, is necessary, despite losing 3-0 in Turin and 4-0 in Paris and 3-0 uh, in Rome and 4-0 at Anfield. <laughs> it's the 8-2 that's actually become the alarm call. Um, so Koeman's coming into a febrile situation where just about 80% of the playing staff will be thinking, am I safe? Do I have to recur to my agent? Do I have to point out I've got a contract in order to stay? Am I wanted? Am I not wanted? Are they going to try and cash me in because they're so short of, of financial resources? Is the coach going to want me out because I play a brand of it? So he's coming into a, a beaten, wounded, aging, in some instances, bitter squad. And he knows that he's going to be out at the end of the season because there are mandatory elections which may take place in the spring, may take place in the summer. Let's see. 
but it's mandatory that this regime must resign en masse and leave by the end of this season. That's mandatory, cannot be avoided. Elections can, can always throw you up a surprise or two. And, I, and maybe the majority of people listening to this podcast don't know much about Victor Font, but he's the leading pre-candidate. He, in my view, he will win. I feel as sure about that as you guys did when you know you, you broke the story a couple of episodes ago about Gabriel um, going to Arsenal. I feel sure enough to say that Victor Font will be the president when we speak again next June or July. He has said all along that it's Chavi for him. Chavi is the man who wants to persuade to be coach. It's likely that Chavi will say yes. It's likely that he'll take Jordi Cruyff with him to be his director of football, Carlos Puyol to be the general manager. He'll try and persuade Busquets to be his second in command, although that would mean Busquets stopping playing rather earlier than he wanted to. Anyway, that's in the future. Victor Fon adds to the value of this answer to your question in that Victor Fon said, um, you know, Cumin I, I, could win the treble this season. And when I win the elections next summer, he won't be the coach. I mean, it's that simple, and that's pretty brutal. So you're coming in into a crisis, into into a, a mudslinging pie fight, and you'll be out at the latest. You'll be out by the first of June. Um, that's not a pretty picture to paint when you're advertising a job, is it? No, but um, <clears throat> to be fair, I read a, an interview which was given by Cumin. The transcript of it's a radio interview, Graham. Um, only um, almost a year ago, just over a year ago, in which he said that Barcelona's problem is they have a spine of a team now in the latter part of their career. Piquet, Busquets, Messi. They don't have a centre forward, although you argue Suarez is and is also over 30. These players cannot go on forever. How are Barcelona, Barcelona going to replace such valuable players immediately or indeed if they can in order to develop into a team capable of competing on all levels. Um, now a year ago Koeman was already identifying the problems that Barcelona face. Has he got either the mandate or the resources to follow through on his own opinion? It's a good separation of issues, I like it. Um, he, he definitely has the mandate, there's no question about that. The nearest comparison you might want to draw was when he took over at Valencia um, in, I think, November 2007. Took two, three games um, to decide that he felt strong enough to kick out David Belda, who was the captain, um, the pivote in the team, Angulo, who you know was playing either wide or wing back, two legends of the team, and Santi Canizares, the goalkeeper. Um, he did it in a brutal way. He told them, uh, you're out and you won't play again under me. You can find another club. Literally, I held the press conference. It wasn't behind closed doors. And he treated them brutally. You'll remember at the time I was featuring on Revista a lot. Um, I said to the producer, Stevie Roll, let's, let's make an issue of this because he's, he's effectively fired Alberta. And Alberta wanted to go to the tribunes. I better wait to say that is to go to legal uh, resources. We went over and talked to Tavidel Belda about the way that he'd been treated, and it, and it literally was brutal. Um, now, Koeman that season uh, won the cup in Spain with Valencia, but um, was the, the league form was so poor, I'd argue partly stripped of these three stalwarts, that he was flirting with relegation, and in April he was sacked, so he lasted from November until April, and immediately he left, the stalwart players came back. 
history won't be repeated identically at Boboca Barcelona. They use that anecdote to, to, to point out that for anybody who maybe only knows him as a player or perhaps only knows him for his relatively brief spells at Southampton and Everton and forgets that he won the title um, with two different clubs in Holland and at Benfica, not Liverpool out of Europe. He has been in his time um, at least an adequate coach. He's been a trophy-winning coach, but he is a, um, I was going to use the word brutal. That's, he, can, he, he can be brutal if, as many Dutch football people have proven to you and I and to everybody listening over the years, if his convictions tell him something clearly, then he will be brutal about that. He'll, be, he'll speak front, front up to, to players, which most players say that they like. Um, for example, I was reading only yesterday a, a, an archive interview with uh, Juan Roman Raquelme, who says he bears no ill will to Louis van Gaal because Louis van Gaal told him straight up, one, you're not my type of player, you're the best in the world on the ball, off the ball, we're playing with 10. Um, I told you to play on the left, you created two goals playing centrally, you're not playing my team again, thank you. And Raquelme loved that. He's like, okay, well, that's fine if that's the way you feel. And he still think, he still respects um Van Gaal for having the big bollocks to sell him straight to his face. Koeman is from is cut from that cloth as well. But as you pointed out, there are two slightly different um, elements here. One, we're genuinely dealing with world legends. Um, there's a very small handful of men who have won the treble twice. Piquet is one of them. So is Serge Busquets, and so is Leo Messi. Jordi Alba hasn't, but he's won one. Now, Next Sunday, there'll be a second group of men who won the treble twice, those who were in the Heinkes team at Bayern Munich and have remained in the team now. But for the moment, Barcelona are out on their own with that. The two of the men that I've mentioned there won the World Cup, and Piquet and Busquets. So, and, and Messi is one of the two, three greatest players of all time. So when Koeman has a mandate and has the, the cojones to go to them and say, <laughs> come in number six, your time is up, it isn't as simple as, as treating Alberta or Angulo or Canizares that way. And I would say that your separate point, because you phrased it really well, is that it's going to be very difficult to sell these players um, as Pep Guardiola and Chiqui Bagheerasain managed when a similar exercise took place in summer 2008. Not only did they tell Ronaldinho, Deco and Eto that they were out, they recanted the decision on players' advice, the squad's advice on Eto, and they found buyers for Deco and Ronaldinho, even though they'd make it, they'd made it market difficult by announcing that the two players were out. So, Ekuman has the mandate. There are a couple of different precedents for if he chooses. Any of the senior players can be told, under my rule, you're out. I'm potentially the market will say that's fine. You know, we'll offer you ten bob for these valuable players because it will become a buyer's market. Uh, the money supply in football is, is going to be more scarce. And a very difficult situation will, will blossom if Koeman approaches the situation um, by speaking to these players in black and white um, to add you know, fuel to what you pointed out. Um, it isn't simply Koeman uh, who's got a mandate from the president. The president said in public, there are legendary players who will need to be shown the door, but shown the door with full honours. So it's on everybody's agenda that there's going to be a cull, and the cull will probably involve some of the greats. 
Um, how they manage that in the transfer market is going to provide fodder for you and Duncan for weeks to come because if I'm not wrong, the market probably doesn't close until October 5. Clubs are, are going to try and squeeze the best bargains they can at Football Club Barcelona and there will be outrage. I, I would have, I would imagine that if there was a footballing version of Civil War which was damaging and bloody and prolonged at Camp Nou starting from now, I, I, that wouldn't surprise me if that does occur. There are a few more favourite phrases in this podcast than providing fodder for me and Duncan. Uh, so I thank you for that. We spoke on uh, the podcast earlier this week, Graham, about the uh, position of Messi. And obviously that's something which everyone's obsessed about, given that he is the best player in the world. Uh, there has been silence from the player himself. His father appears to be briefing certain people, having spoken to Bartomeu and Cumin, perhaps. What I heard uh, from someone in Messi's entourage was that, well, considering his position uh, with regards to what's happened in the last six months as well as week, is that he is conscious of what his legacy will be at Barcelona. A, should he leave? Or B, should he stay, given the perilous state? and the chaotic nature of what's going on at the club. How do you read that? Is it possible? Obviously, there's a massive buyout clause, but is it possible that Leo Messi would consider leaving Barcelona before the start of next season? Um, again, compliments. Uh, we don't work on this routine, but I really like the, the caution you've used in the question. I, I know that one Brazilian journalist, of whom I've got you know no knowledge, so I don't want to comment on their you know their their worth as as transfer market predictors, has said Messi has decided to leave. Okay, fine. I would point out that the, the root, the basis of all of this, is that Messi is still somebody who, until recently, um, could be catalyzed into tears if a big match was lost. Um, in the macho world of football, that doesn't sound very good. But the fact is that it's a demonstration of the fact that irrespective of his fame and his wealth, it still remains winning that's the absolute um, reason that Messi plays football. He has been critical of the way in which the squad has declined. He was deeply unimpressed about how unprepared they were for Paris Saint-Germain to pay out um, Neymar's clause. He's been deeply critical of them, how they've spent the money since receiving that 222 million from Paris Saint-Germain. And he wanted them to buy Neymar back. And last summer, there was a, a pretty paper-thin um, attempt to, to do that. In other words, basically to pull the wool over his eyes. Um, it was never going to happen. And that was unappreciated by Messi. And... Here they are now, um, with his words after losing at home to Osasuna, 10-man Osasuna in the penultimate day of La Liga, whereas captain, he stood and spoke to the microphones, knowing that that defeat at Camp Nou had meant that Real Madrid um, had won the title. Um, the, the words he said was, we're, being, we're, we're irregular, we're being beaten in the league by teams who simply show a little bit more hunger or intensity than we do. And he pointed out that day, that he felt there needed to be institutional change. That institutional change is a theme that Gerard Piquet echoed as a phrase 
I remember PK and Messi have been playing together since they were 13. Um, they are pillars of this club, the two of the greatest players the club's ever had. And it's patently obvious that the senior group of players are um, fully aware of the flaws that go beyond the squad or the technical staff. And in, 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 on which point, they're, they're completely right. The, the Rosé and Bartomeu regimes, even with a treble one during the middle of it, largely because of the work of the technical director and the, the massive resources left behind by the Bergerstein Laporta regime, Rosé's uh, and Bartomeu's regimes as presidents of Barcelona have continuously poured corrosive asset on the on the most significant and uh, unique parts of the Barca DNA. And the result is this. So Messi's level of dissatisfaction, disappointment, and increasing anger existed before they were pumped a two for a record defeat by Bayern Munich and, and humiliated. All of us who played amateur football know that when you're on the end of a, an amateur football gubbing like that, it, it stings for a long time. It, how We all have to supercharge our imaginations to think what the senior, hard-bitten, winning pros in that Barcelona squad felt as they watched by a minute run rings around them. Now, anybody who's listened to this podcast who thinks that because of their salary or the yachts that they all abandoned the training ground to go to once they were knocked out of Europe, that somehow it doesn't matter. Give yourself a slap in the face with a wet fish. The accumulated pain and anger that they suffered, irrespective of maybe they, during the year they could have trained with more intensity or maybe one or two of them could have been less distracted by outside issues. It, that is a horrendous life-scarring experience. And to come back to your point then, would it be any surprise if Leo Messi was thinking about leaving? No. And I go back to the point about it's because how can he trust that there's going to be any better um, investment and, and the money supply is very, very, very low at Football Barcelona? How can he trust that um, in an era when Koeman comes in, he's going to get on with that coach? I, I think that is not a given at all. And therefore, if he wanted out, one, I wouldn't be surprised. And two, I'd probably applaud him, Ian. I would probably say, um, you, you, I don't think you go down as the greatest in history um, using loyalty to one club throughout your career as, as part of your application. Um, if he saw that there was a club and a city where he could exist and do what he desperately wants to do, which is win at least one, if not more, Champions Leagues again, then he should be thinking of leaving. Now, the mechanism, that's different because everybody knows there was a get-out-of-jail-free card in his contract, which tells you again, Ian, that you know, when they signed the last contract, they were thinking there may be a point where we want to leave this, we want to get off this sinking ship. Otherwise, they do not negotiate a clause which was granted by the club that if he informed them in each May, any May during his existing contract, which finishes 12 months' time, I want to leave. He was entitled to leave in, in the next month in June for free. That was a great headline story and he didn't use it. May has passed, and therefore he's locked into his last year unless a club comes and pays you know, 200 million for a guy who'll be, well, he's 33 now. One, who's going to do that? Two, which club that can do that and pay him the wages that he wants will appeal to Leo Messi. I see it as an extraordinarily complicated um, equation to work out 
how and why uh, Messi leaves for another club during this season or during this transfer market. At the end of the season, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I would not be shocked if he says to Koeman and Bartomeu in their meeting whenever they can arrange it, yeah, I want to go, let me go. And the club, you know, Bartomeu is, is, has proved to be a clown in many things, but does he want to be branded for the rest of his life as the president who asked the club, um, lost 8-2 to Bayern Munich, and then allowed Leo Messi to go for a cheap price? I don't think so, do you? No, I would agree with you on that. Um, however, I just think that the events of the last few months, and uh, as I mentioned in the podcast last Tuesday, the image of Messi sitting dejected on dressing room floor at halftime of the Bayern Munich game seemed to me to almost epitomise um, a man who uh, feels like this project, this my life, if you like, is coming to a point where I have to make a decision. What that decision is, I think, will depend on what happens. I think you're right with regards to if Xavi comes in as coach, but under uh, a new president, however, um, that remains to be seen. You know how much, Graham, more than anyone, how much I love to wear a wig. I wouldn't expand on that, but I'll put my QC wig on here. I, I will because I wish to I wish to call to the uh, the box the uh, a witness. Um, as you know, uh, myself and David Albelda, the former Valencia captain, uh, formed quite a tight relationship in the past. And uh, when I interviewed him, uh, and we talked about Kuman, um, and you'll get the link in a second. His uh, his view was that he wished that Kuman would coach Barcelona one day because that way the league would be a bit more equal. Uh, clearly, a derisory comment in terms of Kuman's ability to coach, uh, having spent that rather tumultuous season uh, under Valencia. And I'm wondering, Graham, uh, with Real Madrid having obviously taken the Liga title, Barcelona uh, seemed to be spiralling for the moment anyway, into an ever-deepening chasm of uh, crisis and uncertainty. Real Madrid have extreme financial problems. Uh, even Florentino Perez has admitted that new signings are going to be either unviable or very, very sparse. Is there a genuine challenge on the horizon for La Liga next season with regards to the duopoly that Madrid and Barca have held for such a long time? Um, I'd like to give you a, a cheap and quick and easy yes, but I'm not sure about that one because I think Real Madrid will win the title and I don't think that Florentino's financial problems are going to hamper the club in any way whatsoever. Um, they've got a squad which is more than capable with a little bit of um, finessing, uh, particularly in midfield, um, which is more than capable of, of winning the title again. Um, whether that squad is capable in the Champions League is something to come back to closer to the end of the transfer market. But the the really big problem that Limited have is to get rid of some of their um, highly paid stars because they've got, a, you know, when everybody's back at the club, they've got a, a squad of about 32 players. Now, modern coaches often like to work with tight squads, 20, 22 players uh, maximum, if that squad is well composed. Um, on the training ground, everybody is well aware that 
training needs to be tight, quick. Everybody needs to feel involved. You don't want um, people in a corner whispering bad thoughts about the session or the assistant coach or the stars who are in their way. So there are many reasons for having a tight squad, but there are a million reasons for not going into a season with a squad of 32 players. Now, how they sell is going to be crucial to, to how lean they are, whether they've got money to operate and buy, the, 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 the relatively small number of reinforcements that they need. They would love to have an outright scoring number nine. They probably need somebody else who can supplant uh, Cruz and Modric, um, depending on crucial state. Whether Modric stays or not, is I think is an interesting question. I expect probably he does. But nonetheless, there needs to be some small finessing of the squad. Other than that, they should win the title. It will be an enormous setback if they don't win this title. And if you look outside Barcelona and Real Madrid, Atleti can have aspirations to win the title, but there are so many things that must change. Their goal supply being number one, they either need to, um, in my opinion, it, the road is clear for them. It's time to get rid of Diego Costa, who um, Cholo Simeone has been preferring latterly over Morata. Um, Marcos Llorente has been moved forward from Pivote into attacking midfield or second striker. It, it looks useful in that position, but at the moment, it, it's imperative that they obtain a striker who's going to give them 20, 25 goals. Imperative. Beyond that, um, they need to find a way to get Jacques-Felix performing weekly rather than monthly. And then, if they can keep Oblak, um, which is a very very big question. They need to generate 100 million euros in transfer sales to, to cope with their debt. So it's it's whether they can stay as strong as they are now and add goals, then then you've got a question about could they win the title right now as we speak, that they haven't added goals. And I think that Oblak is thinking about um, whether he wants to leave or not. You wouldn't be tipping them for the title. If they handle their business properly between now and the start of the season, which in Spain is September 12th, then it's feasible, you know. But you were perhaps looking for not just Atleti, you were looking for either a shock. Sevilla have shown, again, that if they keep their team together and they're a relatively robust team financially, should they be able to fight off suitors for Diego Carlos and Conde um, and Ocampos? If they are able to do that, and add goals because Luke de Jong is not the answer. Sevilla potentially can be the dark horse um, title challengers. To say that they've got a big enough squad or a title mentality, having never won it in the modern era, um, would be would be too much. But to say that they could put themselves by spring in a position to challenge for the title, and also Monchi has been very clear um, to one of his ex-footballers that I work with, that, that he built a squad last summer to compete to win every tournament. Now, this season, they haven't won anything, but they've gone to the Europa League final and they've made top four. So he's going to probably mark himself as a 7 out of 10. If there's another good Munchie exercise between now and the close of the market, but particularly between now and the start of the season, it's a month difference between those two. Sevilla can become your dark horse, after which you're talking about who do we watch to entertain ourselves, Real Sociedad, Villarreal, with Coquelin and Danny Parejo in midfield, look inordinately exciting. So we will have a competitive Liga campaign, that's for sure. 
you've asked about will there be an unusual title winner and I have to say no there won't it'll be Real Madrid Every sporting director in Europe were had their spine tingled there, Graham, when you said all they need is a 20 to 25 goal a season striker. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, those, those like, like, you know, number 12 buses, they just come along in twos. That's it. <laughs> and or any, 25s. Or 25s. Any, any, and do you think there's anyone on the horizon? Because, obviously, they sold Griezmann. Diego Costa, as you mentioned, is clearly not performing uh, to the levels he did when he first returned to Atletico. But, is there anyone there that you could identify that Atleti could buy to give them those kind of goals? Or indeed that Sevilla could augment an already very talented squad with and replace Luke de Jong with someone who can score those goals? Um, I, I don't think that there's a natural and obvious target who is going to be easily available. Um, no, I'll give you that. The, the, the thing that probably separates um, Sevilla and Atleti is that um, the Italian transfer director, Berta, at um, Atleti has a, a, a declining reputation, let's call it. And Atleti are in the process of uh, regeneration because Monoburgos is going to leave as the assistant to Cholo Simeone and take with him he was the one who organised a lot of their, their daring play, their set plays, um, who, who was more influential in what they did with the ball once they had it, rather than Simeone, who sets the overall feeling of don't lose. And I wonder whether at the moment they're going to be as good at finding the right man as Sevilla, where I think Sevilla, Munchi in particular, they're, they're um, fantastic football director has got a greater chance of getting the right man from whichever league around the world and probably as an equivalent to Conde, who came from Bordeaux and I think largely, apart from Gus Poyet, who coached him at Bordeaux, largely was regarded as potentially a fairly ordinary and sometimes overly headstrong young centre-half. He's developed into what's looking like an exceptional footballer, um, Monchi, and it's not just him, I'm not attributing him supernatural powers. He has a brilliant network, he has a very clear system, which if anybody hasn't looked at the YouTube videos, we're Monchi, typical of Spain, and, and I love him for it. He's explained all his tactics about how you become a great sports director, and he's put it out in public. And you work in an environment, particularly in the UK, where everything has, you know, is proprietorial interest, it's intellectual property, it's it's you know, the, the spying between clubs has been proven on, on things like transfer movements and player assessment. And once she's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm very good at this. So I'm going to put all my knowledge out on YouTube for, for public dissection. It's so typical of Spain to want to share and improve and let people see how they do things. I still find it um, quaint, but nonetheless, it's useful. There will be a lot of people around... Uh, European football who watch Monchi's videos about his system and about how he analyzes potential players. Therefore, the answer to your question is I think that Sevilla are far more likely to turn up another um, Baca, for example, um, or Kevin, Kevin Gamero, and, and, and turn up a player that only probably the Conoscenti are already aware of and turn them into the type of scoring phenomenon that they need. That, that's my view. I think it's 
it's more likely that Sevilla find the goals that, that, that they and, and they've got the budget and you know although the Europa League is not a massive windfall they know they're in the Champions League again next season they're at minimum in the final they, they might win I think slight underdogs against Inter but their financial situation is better so Sevilla I think I back I think Luke de Jong has been a failed experiment um, irrespective of his goal against United and I think that it, they'll be the ones who find the goals that they need to make themselves the, the title dark horses. Unfortunately, one of the limitations of YouTube is it may show Monchi telling us about his methods, but it doesn't actually show an analysis of his brain. And, uh... That's a point. That's a point. And, and listen, the thing, the thing I'm trying to emphasize, Ian, is that it's, it's a system and he has brilliant staff, not all of whom have any background in football at all. And yeah. his, the way he's constructed his network, the criteria they use, and how regularly they assess. But if you want to break it down into three elements, that's it. <laughs> but, you know, everybody else thinks they know better. And, and that's the method to copy, point full stop. From the successes, Graham, uh, in La Liga of the last season to what is, um, certainly in my opinion, um, a sad situation at one of my favourite clubs, Valencia, where um, the investment of Peter Lim has been in stages both beneficial and then, uh, I think, uh, not so benevolent in terms of where they find themselves now. Um, it's uh, your information. Uh, you've told me that the entire squad is effectively available for sale. Ferran Torres has already joined Manchester City uh, for a fee, which I think is pretty economic. Uh, That's extraordinary. To, extraordinary. Yeah, exactly, compared to the player's potential value. Um, but shows maybe just how desperate they are in terms of their situation. Well, it, it, yes, but also he was a, a year from going out of contract. They couldn't afford to leave him for nothing. Ferran Torres and his agent had long decided that they wanted to move on. The, the impetus to leave was about the situation in the club and, and his playing time and his development. Then when you add the lure of working for Pep Guardiola and playing for City in massive wages, it, it was pretty obvious what he had to do. It's an extreme blow for Valencia, who have not had the full benefit of this wonderful young player. Um, but they had to sell. It, it's it's an extraordinary piece of business by City. And uh, I think the Ferran Torres over the next season, season and a half, as he learns the the demands of English football, will prove that. But you're right, he's just the tip of the iceberg. There, um, they've already lost Coquelin and uh, Parejo. And the situation is that they published, a, again, a little bit like Munchie, they published their financial plan several years ago when Meriton and, and Peter Lim bailed uh, Valencia out. And, and that was that they had to qualify for the uh, Champions League every year, I think, for 18 years. And immediately published that plan. They failed to go off for the Champions League. They've been irregular visitors to the Champions League. And um, the financial plan said that even when we're, if, even if we qualify for the Champions League every year in order to reduce our debt, um, we have to sell one or two of the big players who have got us there. Now, you know, we, we've seen that type of financial planning that leads in it, and it didn't work out there. And at the moment, what's happened is that the players this week were informed that Valencia pay their players, um, the, the wages come, a small percentage of the wages come um, monthly, but the rest of it come in two big payments um, in January and June. 
And the payment that the players were supposed to be getting right now, um, or pardon me, that should have had already, hasn't appeared. And they've been reassured that they'll be paid the June payment, um, for which they performed. You know, they've they've worked their, their butts off in, in the league um, and they've got to a reasonable stage of the Champions League in a, in a very difficult season. If you think about the upheaval that was going on, they've got a new coach. Um, there were several coaches during the season after Marcelino was sacked, which to me was just a disastrous decision. Anyway, the long short, and he was sacked for saying, I want to build a competitive squad. I want to spend money on top players. I want to challenge for the title. And, and they were like, no, <laughs> we're not bringing you more. Uh, we're not extending the wage bill. We're not signing better quality players. You must play the kids and pluck them up, get them ready for sales. It was a sub Bernard Matthews situation. You know, get the turkeys nice and looking pretty and fat and at Christmas off with their heads. It's, and Marcelino was like, oh, I want, look, we're qualified for the Champions League and I've won you the cup. Now I want to kick on. And the message was no. So at the moment, um, with the players being told that they don't get a June payment in September, there's been a cash flow problem at Valencia. They haven't qualified for the Champions League. It's written in the financial plan that Champions League qualifications are obligatory in order even just to keep the chin above water. So right now it is the case that even though there are certain players they'd like to specifically like to keep, and for example, Gabriel, the, the centre-half previously at Arsenal, um, they, they, they'd like to renew his contract. Um, the fact is that the the big clubs around Europe who are financially sound can go and take a look at, at Gaia or Rodrigo. Listen, we can name pretty much any footballer there and go in and, and name a price and it'd be very likely to get a deal. Also the case, Graham, that we've seen this um, uh, legal precedent set, of course, uh, in uh, Portugal with Sporting uh, when they didn't honour players' contracts, uh, that a player can then demand that given that the contract had been uh, effectively uh, violated by the club in terms of non-payment, that they should be available to leave for free. And Valencia, I presume, must be under that threat as well. I think, I think what they've tried to do is, is call it a hiatus um, to negotiate with the players. And while it clearly needs to be established that if a club doesn't honour it, just like any employer doesn't honour its contract with its workers, by definition, they must be free to move. I don't think that Valencia have reached that stage yet. I don't think, I don't think, um, I emphasis on, on that, that agents and players are ready to go and say, all right, you've breached the contract, we can leave for free. But they, they have no more room for manoeuvre. Um, they've, they've made a, a guarantee that the payments that are missing will, will arrive by September 1. That date is very close now. Broadly, I think that if you're looking at the way in which players and agents can take advantage of the situation, I think it's much more likely that there's a grudging acceptance of the situation. And then from certain footballers, more than a willingness to leave in the transfer market this summer, which which it's a downward spiral because you need brilliance. If you finish ninth, uh, you know, five places off where you, you, you want to finish and you see other clubs strengthening and you've lost money by finishing ninth and you deplete your squad, then clearly what, what we've seen it before, the vicious cycle rather than the virtuous cycle, can, can actually make you spiral down. And we've got Javi Gracia, the ex-Malaga, ex-Watford manager in charge. He's patently a man of talent, but 
he doesn't know yet which assets he'll have to see him through from now until the next transfer market in the middle of the season. Uh, and the fact that he can start the season and, and be undermined for a full month while the season has been played is, uh, listen, I would categorise it as demoralising and, and on the verge of being a disastrous situation. I'd just like to just get your um, views on Pep Guardiola. Uh, Yaya Turi has given an interview this morning where he has uh, intimated that failure in the Champions League once again for Pep at Manchester City means that failure to do again would potentially spell the end of his time uh, at the Etihad Stadium. Obviously, he is one year out of contract this summer. What do you see in terms of Pep's future uh, and also how he will be feeling uh, about the fact that once again he's managed to uh, go out at the quarterfinal stage? Yeah, look, uh, um, the honest answer is I don't know because failure like that um, can make a man think about uh, changing his schedule. But my impression is that he'll see, I've said this to you before, um, when the, there was the threat of a ban, I said that he would see out his final year contract. My belief is that he'll do that. Um, I, I find it slightly hard to imagine him renewing at City, not impossible, because he's at a stage whereby I think his dream to coach the Brazil national side and win a World Cup with them needs to be something that he works on while he's vital, while he's not just in vogue, but while his energy levels are there. It's, it's definitely the case that he dreams of doing that. Um, it's not urgent that he, that he begins to do it, but I think it's becoming um, guessable. Is that something he's spoken about at length, Graham? Um, how often do you betray your sources? Mm -hmm. um, all I'm saying to you is that just as I knew that he expected Ed Woodward to make a move for him while I was at Bayern Munich before he signed for City and couldn't believe that United didn't try for him because his original goal was to work for United. And when you and I were working in tandem regularly, we heard Alec Ferguson saying... Um, you know, Beckham playing in central midfield, yes, that's his desire, but until I get somebody to replace him, um, and the only person who can replace him on the right is Luis Figo, and I can't get him. And Figo often said he wanted to play in English football. Fergie wanted Figo, Figo wanted to come in. It never happened. People have dreams that are explicit, that they can act on, that could happen, and then don't happen in football all the time. That's just a fact. Um, so Pep <laughs> expected to, uh, you know, when he began at Bayern Munich, he expected his next move to be to Manchester United. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, so the Brazil thing remains something that, it, and you can see it, it's, it's blue ribbon clubs. He's been at Barcelona, he's been at Bayern Munich. He expected to be at Manchester United. It was Manchester City he came to. Um, the blue ribbon name in world football is Brazil. And he believes that he can um, take over at some stage and win a World Cup. And, and why wouldn't he think that? Why wouldn't you dream big? Anyway, the, the long and short is that is on his agenda. Um, it doesn't mean he'll leave Manchester City at a given time specifically for that. But, you know, um, turning, what, he's, he's turned 50. Um, I imagine he's looked around him and watched colleagues in their 50s 
sometimes lose a little bit of drive, change in terms of their intensity or their inten- or that intensity costs you more. And and I think being, as in being John Markovic, being Pep Guardiola, comes at a bit of a cost. So listen, you asked me to estimate, and my estimate is that he sees this season out. Uh, my estimate is that he learns from um, what was a, a five out of 10 display by him, never mind his team, against Leon. He, he didn't do well either in conception of the game, nor in which changes were made, or how many changes were made, or when the changes were made during the game. It was just, it was poor work. High quality managers occasionally have a day like that. I think he will uh, reboot, reset, finish this year. My estimation is that he'll probably then move onwards. That's my, that's my guess. Very interesting indeed, and uh, we will look forward to updating all of our listeners on that particular issue as this season um, plays out and what happens, of course, after that. Now, given Duncan's absence and his butterfly uh, collector type uh, role, uh, we suspect that the quickfire round will indeed for once be a quickfire round because Duncan is uh, infamous for making it a longfire round. And I'm going to ask Graham two questions, uh, knowing that he will reply in classic, very quick fire fashion. The first is, Graham, what would be your uh, prediction for the Champions League final? Um, I think Bayern, Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain will compete it. That helps. That's, what, that's one thing I've got right. And Bayern win. And Bayern win handily. Um, I accept Paris Saint-Germain can do them damage. They've got exceptional front footballers and creative footballers. Bayern Munich are the better squad, the better team, and better form, better momentum, better athletically. Bayern Munich to win maybe by two. Agree with you on that. And very quickly as well, secondly, because I know that you are a busy man. Uh, who lasts longest next season, Kuman or Zidane? <laughs> uh, that's not a quick power one because it's extraordinarily difficult. You can take the yes. fifth if you like. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll take four and a half and say that. Ah, uh, I'm actually having to think. That's the. That's a creaky, rusty sound of gears turning. Think, thinking is yeah. thinking is very difficult. Um, Sudan. Okay, <laughs> we'll take that. Um, thank you very much, uh, Graham Hunter, for joining Pleasure. us on the Transfer Window podcast today. Please, if you want to continue the debate, do so on our Transfer Window <laughs> media channels. That's on Twitter at Transfer Podcast. Uh, also on Facebook and Instagram. Graham Hunter is at Bumper Graham. And please, if you haven't already, subscribe to at GH Podcast. That's the big interview where you will get the biggest names in football talking very candidly with the Mister uh, about their experiences in their careers. Wow. As well as if you have not yet watched and you are a fool if you haven't. Stop it. Take the Stop ball. it. Take the ball past the ball. One of the best films ever made about football. Please watch it. Part two of Emiliano Martinez this week on the, on the podcast. He's very indeed, boy. indeed. He yeah, it was brilliant. I've listened to it. it was great. Uh, so please do that. Uh, I am also at Garbo SJ, which is also very confusing. Other than that, we have our own YouTube channel, as you know, to listen to the podcast. Also available on your normal podcast platforms. All of that and more next week. Until then, it just leads me to say stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.